Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America the beautiful weirdo she is today. Nice. So, you know, we just got done with an election and like a huge thing, as is every year, but this year we had huge election turnout. Yeah. Like more people voted in this election than any other election ever combined combined <laughs> no that's not true <laughs> but um so but it was a record breaking it was record breaking so this um this week's presidential trivia is which president never voted hmm. ever ever just never voted benjamin harrison benjamin harrison just looks like a guy who's like, I don't need to vote. <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah. Well, the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Martha Elizabeth Beale was born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas on September 2nd, 1918. She grew up an only child, and one of her main hobbies, along with singing and playing piano, was talking. In her senior high school yearbook, the quote under her photo was, Love its gentle warble, I love its gentle flow. I love to wind my tongue up, and I love to let it go. (laughs) You know who that reminds me of? Who? My sister. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I didn't want to say it. Yeah, so she loved talking so much, she, like, that was her. gave her quote to, like, an ode. Mm-hmm. She attended... It's past time. Yeah. She attended multiple universities and eventually received a Bachelor of Arts in History from the University of Miami. After graduating, she worked as a seventh grade teacher in Mobile, Alabama, but only lasted a year, saying she despised teaching. Really? Which I feel like, I mean, maybe seventh grade isn't the best grade to start out with to jump on in they're all like hormonal and they're stinky Mm -hmm. i wouldn't start out teaching junior high yeah i would either do elementary school or high school yeah really high school i would way rather do high school than junior high Hmm. oh yeah Hmm. props to junior high teachers out there i don't think (laughs) i could ever do it martha moved back to pine bluffs where she worked as a secretary at the pine bluff arsenal When Martha's boss, Brigadier General Augustin Mitchell Prentice, was transferred to Washington, D.C., Martha went with him. While in D.C., Martha met a U.S. Army officer named Clyde Jennings, Jr. They were married on October 5, 1946. Jennings got out of the Army after they married and took a job as a traveling handbag salesman. Hmm. Jennings was away from home a lot with his job, and it led to Martha and Clyde getting divorced in 1957. Shortly after divorcing, Martha married a wealthy lawyer named John N. Mitchell. Like, they, she married him, like, a couple months after her divorce was final. Nice. Yeah. I feel like they used to do things pretty quick back in the day. I so. think, well, so they, Martha and Clyde had already been separated for a year, and yeah. I think her and John had been dating that whole time, and yeah. so, when she was free, she was ready to- Get married. Get married, right off the bat. Yeah. In 1966, John Mitchell joined his law office with that of Richard Nixon's. 
and that became the law offices of Nixon, Mudge, Rose, Guthrie, Alexander, and Mitchell. <laughs> Couldn't leave anybody out. No. Had to Could add all the names. Be, who's the senior person right. and associates? Yeah. That's got to be like the biggest sign yeah. <laughs> over the door. Yeah. That's Your, why people started charging by the letter. Yeah. Versus the word. Your, their business cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they had two of them, actually. Yeah, one for the name and one for the actual person. Yeah. <laughs> when Nixon was elected president in 1968, he appointed John to be his attorney general. Martha and John moved into their new home in the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C. Hmm. Martha quickly became a celebrity in D.C. The New York Times called Martha the most talked about, talkative woman in Washington. <laughs> Still being super talkative, Martha was given the nickname the Mouth of the South <laughs> due to all of the gossip that Martha liked to spread. And it's kind of funny. I want to show you a picture of yeah. Martha because she does have a big mouth. Like? Like? Like, like size-wise. Physically. Yeah. Physi physiologically. Oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got this, like, big blonde hair and she wears bows and she wears dangly earrings and she's yeah. just... A character. Yes. Kind of reminds me of like uh, Reese Witherspoon almost. Yeah, but I feel like Reese Witherspoon like on steroids yeah. is Martha Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking like legally blonde <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover said of Martha, she is one of the most lovable girls I have ever met. She says what she thinks and lets the chips fall where they may. In 1970, Martha made the cover of Time for an issue that covered the most influential women of D.C. Martha began to appear on TV, mostly talking about how much she hated liberals, and was seen as an anti-communist Lucille Ball. Huh. Yeah. She appeared in a sketch of Laugh-In, which is like a... Do you know what Laugh-In is? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's kind of, like, kind of like Saturday Night Live. Sure. In like late 60s, early 70s. Sure. It's just like a sketch show. Um, and during a sketch, Lily Tomlin played a telephone operator that calls Martha to give her an award for giving the phone company a ton of business. <laughs> Martha's favorite thing to gossip about was her husband's affairs. Uh, Not like romantic affairs, like business affairs. Yeah. That's what I meant. She would go through his drawers and listen in on his calls. When God. <laughs> when I was an attorney. Like, that's the last thing you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. When, especially being the Attorney General yeah. of the United States, yeah. when John would hold secret meetings with other Nixon associates in their apartment, John would send Martha upstairs to her room. Martha would wait a little bit and then sneak down the stairs and eavesdrop. <laughs> Martha then often called journalists while she was drunk off of whiskey and would talk to them for hours on the inside happenings of Nixon's administration. <laughs> Everyone knew that it was Martha giving these inside scoops, and Nixon told his chief of staff, we have to turn off Martha. Yeah. Oh no, what does that mean? <laughs> In 1972, John resigned as attorney general to become the director of the committee to re-elect the president, or as it later became known as CREEP. <laughs> they tried to just call it CRP, but people started calling it CREEP. Creep. Yeah. <laughs> In June of 1972, Martha and John flew to California to campaign for Nixon. Martha had plans to attend a pool party that was hosting guests like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and Zsa Zsa Gabor. 
While in California, John got a call that five burglars had been arrested at the Watergate complex for trying to break in and install eavesdropping equipment in the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Dun, dun, dun. Or what we know now is just the Watergate scandal. Yeah. John made arrangements to head back to Washington, D.C. at once to hopefully cover up Watergate before it blew up into something bigger. But he told Martha to stay in California and get some rest. Uh-oh. He's like, I just don't need you around <laughs> in this right now. Before he left, John put a former FBI agent named Steve King in charge of Martha. John ordered Steve King to keep Martha away from the newspapers and TV news reports so that Martha wouldn't see any coverage of the Watergate break-in. Steve King took Martha to brunch, a cocktail party, and reception and dinner to keep her busy enough to not look at the news. He's like, oh, you done eating and drinking? Let's go to another place and eat and drink. Yeah, yeah. Two days after the break-in, Martha was able to get her hands on a copy of the Los Angeles Times past Steve King. On the front page was a mugshot of the burglars along with an article detailing the facts of the break-in. Martha soon realized that she knew one of the burglars that had been arrested. Uh Uh-oh. It was James McCord, a former CIA officer who had worked as her personal security guard earlier that year. McCord had also driven John and Martha's daughter to and from school. Martha knew that McCord worked closely with her husband and others in the Nixon administration. She's like, oh, my husband's a part of this. He's in Nixon on it. Nixon is a part of this. He's in on it. They're all in she, on like, it. She, like, knew immediately. Yeah, yeah. In the article, John Mitchell was quoted as saying that McCord had nothing to do with creep and had only been hired months earlier for a short amount of time to install a security system for the committee. Martha knew that McCord had still been working for creep, and she called her husband immediately to ask what was going on. Why are you lying to the press? Yeah. Let's... She couldn't get John on the phone after repeated calls, so she kept calling different so numbers. So she called the newspapers and let them break the well, information. Wait. So she kept calling different <laughs> numbers until she was able to reach one of John's aides. She told the aide that if John didn't talk to her, her next call would be to Helen Thomas, a reporter with the United Press International, <laughs> and like her best friend. Yeah. I wonder why she was her best friend. Reporters loved Martha. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) John didn't call Martha back, but he did call Steve King and told him to keep Martha away from the phone. Steve King was able to keep Martha from making any calls for three days, but five days after the break-in, Martha pretended to be asleep until Steve King left her hotel room for a minute, and she then quickly called Helen Thomas. Martha started the conversation by saying that she was going to leave John if he didn't get out of the dirty business of politics. When Helen Thomas asked what Martha meant by dirty politics, Martha began to scream, You just get away! Get away! Oh no. Stephen, he returned. Then the call ended. Beep! Yeah. Helen Thomas tried to call back several more times. She eventually reached a switchboard operator at the hotel that told Helen that Mrs. Mitchell was indisposed and could not talk. Oh, God. She was bound and gagged, (laughs) tied to a chair. Helen then called John Mitchell and told him what happened on the call with Martha. Hey, by the way, I think something's wrong with your wife. Mm -hmm. I was talking to her, and then she started screaming, and the phone call ended. Now I can't reach her. He's like, oh, no. So John replied, that little sweetheart. I love her so much. She gets a little upset about politics, but she loves me and I love her, and that's what counts. Helen's Are they like, going to kill her? The? What happened during the call was that while she was talking to Helen, Steve King came back into the room and jerked the phone from Martha and tore the phone's cord out of the wall. Mm-hmm. Then he started kicking her. 
Oh, no. Steve King left with the phone and locked Martha in her room. King didn't allow anyone to come see Martha, including hotel staff, and didn't allow her to even order room service. That night, Martha tried to escape by using her balcony. King came in while she was trying to escape and pulled her back in. They struggled, and King put Martha's hand through a window and just tore up her hand. Nixon's personal lawyer, Herb Kalmbach, and a doctor were brought to the hotel to deal with Martha. When they got to Martha's room, she was screaming, I'm being held a political prisoner, and I know information. Five men held Martha down on her bed, tied her up, and the doctor injected Martha with a tranquilizer. Jeez. Martha was then taken to an L.A. hospital where her hand was stitched up, and she was put on a plane back to Washington, D.C. Back home, Martha called Helen Thomas back and told her, I love my husband very much, but I'm not going to stand for all those dirty things. I'm black and blue. They don't want me to talk. Nixon's administration began to spread stories of Martha being a drunk mental case that couldn't be trusted or believed. Mm-hmm. Got to discredit the witness. Yep. Martha just stayed in her apartment away from the public eye since no one would believe her anymore. And she was embarrassed and beat up. Yeah. But that just fed into the narrative that she had been institutionalized. Martha tried to tell the story of her being held captive, but it was seen as sensational gossip instead of breaking news. Like, the story ran in, like, women's magazines instead of... National National, yeah. (laughs) Instead of, like, national newspapers. Like, a former attorney general's wife kidnapped so she wouldn't talk about Watergate. Yeah. That should be huge news. Right. In 1973... What did they call her? The Mouth of the South? Mouth of the South. Mouth of the South speaks out against husband and dirty politics. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just Martha being Martha. It's just Martha. You know Martha. She's always drunk and always talking. Yeah. In 1973, Martha gave John an ultimatum. She told him that he had to turn on Nixon or he would lose his family. When their separation was announced, Martha was quoted saying that John was a fool for choosing to shield the president. Martha was one of the first public figures calling for Nixon's resignation. In 1974, Nixon resigned amid impeachment proceedings. In 1975, John Mitchell was convicted on five counts for the cover-up of Watergate, and he served 19 months in federal prison. Hmm. In 1975, Martha was diagnosed with a rare bone cancer and died a year later at the age of 57. Hmm. Pine Bluffs put up a bust in her honor, and on the pedestal of the bust, an inscription reads, Yea, shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. At her funeral, there was an arrangement of white chrysanthemums that read, Martha was right. (laughs) Oh, man. A year after her death, Nixon had an interview where he said about her, I'm convinced if it hadn't been for Martha, and God rest her soul, because she in her heart was a good person. She just had a mental and emotional problem that nobody knew about. If it hadn't been for Martha, there'd have been no Watergate. The point of the matter is that if John had been watching that store, Watergate would have never happened. Now, am I saying here at this late juncture Watergate should be blamed on Martha Mitchell? Of course not. It might have happened anyway. Other things might have brought it on. Who knows? So Nixon was saying, because John Mitchell had a crazy wife... He wasn't able to keep tabs on the people that pulled off Watergate because hmm. he had to watch his crazy wife. Right. Yeah. But 
That's a good thing. Well, I think he's saying that, like... For America. I think Nixon was still trying to play off, like, he wasn't... Yeah. Like, in charge of Watergate. Like, yeah. he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it was just these loners. Yeah. Lone wolf. Lone wolf. Five five people just trying to take the... Trying to steal information from Indeed. the Democrats on their own. Yeah. But, I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. There's one thing we've learned. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Yeah. Psychologists have a phenomenon that they have named the Martha Mitchell effect. That is described as when someone is misdiagnosed with delusions or paranoia for describing events that seem implausible, but are actually true. Mm -hmm. Steve King, the FBI agent. Yeah. What happened um, to him? He became the chairman of the Republican Party of Wisconsin, and then he became a huge businessman. And in 2017, President Trump appointed him to become the United States ambassador to the Czech Republic, despite having no diplomatic experience and never being to the Czech Republic before. Jeez. And that's where Steve King is now. An ambassador. He's an ambassador. To the Czech. Yes. Republic. Yes. Hmm. So. The guy who beat up Martha. Yep. It's a cool, cool dude. Yeah. Sounds like a great <laughs> dude. Sounds like a great dude to be an ambassador. <laughs> So that's the story of Martha, Mouth of the South, Mitchell, and nice. how if we just listened to her, we could have like realized what was going on with Watergate way, way sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, deep throat and everything helped break it. But Martha tried to break it first. Yeah. And we just didn't listen to her. Yeah. Yeah. The real deep throat. <laughs> Mouth of the South. Mouth of the South. That's a great story. Gosh. You know, that is, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if you kind of have a reputation, like all of these people relied on her previous stories for information. Right. They were willing to so, take the information from her before. So like, like, so she starts to speak out against somebody. Yeah. And then they start claiming that she's crazy. Like, why would they not? Like, why would they just immediately be like, oh, you know, the people she's trying to discredit and to oust? Right. Well, I think it partially was she was seen as this over the top. Kind of just loose cannon. Well, and she did have a drinking problem and people knew that. Mm -hmm. But it usually was just like, oh, we have to do we have to talk to Martha on the phone for two hours to get any kind of information because mm -hmm. she likes to talk and she's hammered right now. Mm -hmm. But it usually was reliable information. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it's I like, just I think it was like. People just thought this, she had cracked finally from yeah. from everything. I think that they thought she was just finally had a mental breakdown. Mm. Well, and also I didn't include this, but when she was trying to talk about Watergate, she did have a little bit of a mental breakdown because she started talking about herself in the third person. Mm. But I mean, if you're kidnapped and beat up, yeah, you go through a traumatic and, experience like that. Yeah, you do have a little bit of a mental breakdown. Yeah, yeah. crazy. Well, thanks for trying to break the news, at least, Martha. Thanks, Martha. My sources for this story were Season 1, Episode 1 of Slow Burn, titled Martha. This woman was held hostage and drugged because she knew too much about Watergate by Laura Smith. Martha Mitchell, The Day the Laughing Stopped by Vivian Cadden. That was actually published, like, that was an article that was published almost, like, immediately when she came out. 
was really? like, I, I'm serious. Like, this yeah. isn't funny. This really happened to me. Yeah. But I think it was written by a female journalist. Mm-hmm. Back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it was like yeah. some, I'm sure Helen Thomas took her seriously because she heard her basically getting kidnapped. Yeah, getting. Drugged yeah. through the hotel room. Yeah. And there was other, but mainly it was female journalists that took her seriously. And so it was just some misogyny and sexism and all that. All that. All that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Presidential trivia. Which president never voted? Well, who was it? Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> you already guessed. Yeah. Benjamin uh, Harrison. It was Zachary Taylor, the 12th the actor? president. No. Um, he just never cared about politics. Huh. And even when he was running for president, he basically got nominated because he was this huge war hero in the Mexican-American War. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he never campaigned. He, like, never really... <laughs> he really didn't do anything to get elected. And people didn't even really knew what his values were, what he was going to do. They just really wanted him to be president because he was a war hero. Yeah, that's it. And that's how he got elected. And then um, he died shortly after becoming president from some kind of stomach disease. Yeah, he was like, what, 30 days, 90 days? No, he was a little bit longer. I think he was a year. He lasted a year. Okay. Yeah, we've had some... Short presidencies. Yeah, surprisingly, so... Yeah. But... So, uh, we hope you don't get a nasty stomach bug like Zachary Taylor, and we hope you stay safe. Stay healthy. And until... Oh. Oh... Oh, sorry. I forgot. Jeremy, do you have any updates for us this week? Why, yes, Jordan, I do. (laughs) That's my Home Depot shopping list. (laughs) So, um, episode five? Four. Episode five. Moon Nukes. Yes. We talked about how at one point in time the U.S. was looking at A, nuking the moon. Yes. And then B, building a nuclear base on the moon. Yes. Um. There's a treaty that says we won't do that. We won't weaponize space. But uh, anyways, uh, this update is relevant to that. Um, as as many of you know, or may, maybe you didn't know, SpaceX had its second man launch to the ISS. The first one occurred a few months ago um, and was just a quick test trip. was the validation of the SpaceX um, rocket to make sure that humans could survive in it going to the space station. So this mission was the first uh, full mission. I'm using air quotes. Um, so they had four astronauts that are going to go spend six months up at the space station, and they've gonna, they're going to get relieved here in April by the second fully manned and third SpaceX manned mission to space. So it's pretty cool. You know, NASA, once they retired their old rocket ships, uh, basically put out a bid to see who who could build them a, a rocket to space that, that could be used, that NASA could use. To the They put out a bid to like the private industry. Yeah, private industry. Yeah. Um, because since like 2000, what was it, 2006, 2007, we've been flying up on other countries' rockets. Right. Primarily Russian, from what I've seen. And uh, so it's pretty cool, you know. SpaceX won the bid, obviously, 
And I didn't know this, but Boeing also won the bid. Um, they're a little bit further behind in the process of validating their rockets to uh, to so they're still still a little ways out from getting the Boeing rockets. Well, and then didn't Virgin off the ground? Didn't Virgin? They were working on their space program too, but I think they decided to just yeah. But I don't think they have a abandoned. government contract. Okay. Um. So back to the Boeing thing. You could ruin my plug there. So I said, Boeing, they haven't been able to get their rockets off the ground, but the 737 Maxes are flying again. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Congratulations, Boeing. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't give them crap because it's pretty, I think, pretty sure it's two different divisions, but it just makes, oh, I'm sure. makes it raises the question. There's the question. What have you been spending this money on? Yeah. Yeah. Fixing your 737 Maxes or actually trying to get rockets to fly? Yeah. So, no. I mean, it, it quite literally is rocket science. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's easy. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty complex. Yeah. So. Well, if you're from Boeing and you know, write into us and let us know what you've I'm been sure doing with the government money. I'm no. sure. Um, sure they've got a press release. Or if you're read. part of the Boeing or Tesla space programs, we'd love to hear from you. And yeah. we hope you all stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, weird, America. America.